Today we are kicking off a new series about foundation. I want to talk about the thing, faith, and our life and the way that we live it, what it's built upon. Because the way that you start and what you see as the beginnings of your faith, it matters because if you build up on the wrong foundation, if there's some principles of thought that have taken root in you that are, that are corrosive to your faith, of things it's like it doesn't matter if i it doesn't matter if i ignore this if there's pieces of our faith that at the foundational level are cracked and broken we need to discover those we need to repair those because if we want to build something substantial in our life in our faith we have to build on the right foundation because there's some things that we maybe didn't realize have been a thought pattern for a long time, but it's been there. And and in this series, I just want to go through some foundations. And today, we're getting into a topic that it is a touchy subject, because just the word itself, it's been used so forcefully so many times in our culture that the word usually invokes a reaction. The word we're going to talk about today is repent. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's like, oh, I'm out of here. Like, what? Uh, Listen, I I know the word has been used in a way as though it were a weapon to command a response where someone says, you're going to repent. Someone holds the billboard on the side of the road, freaking out everybody driving past them, you know, repent, the end is nigh. Like, there's that mentality. But I want you to know, repent is not a four-letter word, first of all, and it's not a curse word in the Christian vocabulary. Repentance is foundational in our faith, and it's foundational in what Jesus taught. And this, this I can promise you, what God wants for you is what will be best for you. And it's integral to Jesus' message about the kingdom that was coming was repentance, then we need to take careful consideration and look at what role does repentance play in our faith, in the formation of our faith, and in the life that we live. Because often we live one thing and we say one thing and it creates all kinds of stress and anxiety and worry in you because you have to remember which person you're going to be in which place and God desires for you to live authentically in all places. I want to start, you guys are familiar with the Nobel Prize, right? It's pretty distinguished. You may not like everybody who has received one, and I get that, but it's a pretty distinguished prize. But I wonder how much you know about the person who created the foundation that gives out the Nobel Prize. Albert Nobel is who is responsible. He donated a huge sum of his wealth at the end of his life to create this foundation. And the purpose of the foundation was to give awards to people who'd done the most, the best work for fraternity between the nations and abolition or reduction of standing armies and the formation and the spreading of peace congresses. It was to bring greater peace to the world. Why was that on his heart towards the end of his life? Well, just a little bit about Albert. He grew up in an impoverished household. He, had eight, he was one of eight siblings. And because of the circumstances that he lived in, only four of them actually reached adulthood. He lost one of his brothers in an explosion at a factory where he was working because what he was working on was he was working on explosives. He's actually responsible for the breakthroughs in dynamite and the blasting caps that are used in explosive for construction but also for warfare. He created incredible ways for ammunition and explosive 
explosives to be manufactured in spite of the fact that he would declare himself a pacifist. He created these incredible instruments of war that he made millions and millions upon. And as he was nearing the end of his life, when one of his other brothers passed away, the the newspaper, while creating the obituary for, for his brother, made a mistake. And they thought it was him that died. And so he got up one morning and he read his own obituary in the paper. That's a weird way to start the day, isn't it? The headline read as this, the merchant of death has died. They described the millions that he made on creating weapons of war and destroying lives and families and nations. And it was, and it said of that as well as an influence of Bertha von Suttner, who was writing to him, who was also a pacifist, that he made a decision that there's some, there's some things that don't make sense in my life. And he tried to make sense of them towards the end of his life by setting up his wealth to make a difference for peace. And it's interesting the way that he changed where history was going with war, with explosives, with ammunitions. And now we think of him as someone who, we think of Nobel and we think of peace, we think of invention, we think, we think of solidarity between nations. And I, I think that his life is an interesting one. There's so many interesting things about his life, but the thing that he's known for is not what he lived for at all. And I don't want my life to be one, and I don't want your life to be one, where people will look at you and say, they lived for the complete opposite of what they tried to be known for. At, the, at their deathbed, they finally got it right. Towards the end of their life, they finally made the correction. I want to encourage you that right now, if you would look at your life and say, the things that I'm doing, the, the addictions that I have, have a hold of me, the words that I say, the way that I treat my family, it doesn't line up with who I want to be. If, if right now you're in that position, don't continue to put it off for a future point. Not everybody gets to make amends with their millions of dollars that they leave to the world behind them. We have a legacy that we're creating and writing right now with our neighbors, with our members, and with our coworkers that we have to care for right now. And today's message, I really want to challenge you and this is for your own health, but this is for the health of our church and what I believe God wants to do in this city. For us to be a healthy church, we have to be willing to look at our heart and look at our life and look at the sin that we've kept hidden from other people and say, if I want to see God move, if I want to see prayers answered, if I want to see the best that God has for me, I have to walk in holiness and integrity. And in order for me to do that, I have to be real about what's been going on in my life. The word repent, there's a couple, there's, there's many places that it's used in the Gospels, but I want to give you three quick areas that we begin to see this is an integral part of the Christian message. First of all, with John the Baptist, who was someone who was supposed to make the way clear for Jesus. He had a ministry before Jesus began, and as he was preaching, this is how Matthew chapter 3 verse 2, and we'll put this on the screen, describes his message, that he was saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And this is important because this is the message that was supposed to set the, the, the stage for Jesus. This was the message that was going out, and both people who were far from God and who were lower in, in the social economic system were coming and responding to John's 
message, but also in the context of when he's saying this, the Pharisees, the religious leaders were coming out and watching what John was doing. And as he looked at them, he told them, who told you guys to come out here and escape the coming wrath? And he tells them once again, repent, but not just with words, but with actions. And this concept of, of creating this change, this turn, it starts with John the Baptist setting the way. But then look in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, and this is talking about Jesus and Jesus' ministry. And it says that from that time on, from that time on, from that time forward, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, first of all, I want to highlight the fact that, that he is, that Jesus is saying in this, Repent for, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That he's not saying repent, the kingdom of hell is at the doorstep. It, like there's good news that is being proclaimed. The kingdom of God has moved near to you, but the accessibility to the kingdom of God, it starts with a recognition of repentance in our life. It starts with, with this turn, the word repent in scripture. It simply means to, to turn. We think of repent as a confession, Right? Isn't that what we think? Like, if someone's getting in our face about something and they're telling us to repent, then we think we just need to admit fault. We need to express some sort of sorrow. And I want to tell you that, though, that sorrow and confession, that's part of repentance, but it's not repentance. We, we've sold the concept short of saying repentance is when I finally own up to the bad thing that I did and I get smacked in the head and then I try to do better. That, that's not where repentance is. First of all, let's start with just even confession because confession needs to be separated out from repentance. Confession is not just saying the wrong thing that you did, but it's saying, I'm going to speak what's true. When you make a confession, your faith. It has nothing to do with saying what was wrong. When you make a confession of your faith, you're just stating the truth that Jesus is Lord. That he did die on the cross. That he did raise from the grave. That he did defeat sin in my life. When you make a confession of faith, you're saying, I agree with what reality has already showed us. A confession is a statement of truth. It's not just a statement of wrongdoing. It's saying, I'm going to bring into line what has actually happened. And then in Scripture, when we see that re repentance used, and, it's, and before I get to the definition of repentance, I want to tell you in Acts 2, verse 38 as well, Peter was preaching, and this is in the early church. And so we see John the Baptist, initial part of his message was repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus' message from the time that he began to preach was repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then when the early church starts to minister and preach, they're preaching Acts, in, in Acts 2.38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. This, this, this moment of repentance, it's foundational to the message of Jesus Christ. And we have a desire to always appear right, don't we? If you say no, then you probably have it worse than other people. If you're like, I, I don't need to be right, Paul. I'm just, I just happen to always be right. I'm going to tell you, it, it, it's a thing within us. Like We have a pride that wells up in us that the act of coming to God and admitting fault, it can be a major stumbling block. But I want to tell you, Scripture is clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
Scripture is clear that all of our best works are like filthy rags before the righteousness of God. We could never do enough and be enough on our own. And so it is only natural to see God in his majesty and holiness as someone that we look at him and all that he has done for us and say, we don't deserve all that you've given. We don't deserve that the kingdom of heaven has come near. And from the beginning of our faith, it should be just a natural statement of the way that I'm living, I recognize that it needs to change. And the word repent, with all of the, the bad feelings that the word repent wells up inside of us as speakers of English when we hear the word repent, all of those feelings, they, you need to take them and set them aside for just a minute. And let's look at what the word means in Scripture. First of all, the word means to turn. And it is associated with, with a feeling of sorrow for, for deeds that have occurred, but it is not just the sorrow. When we talk about repentance, I, I'm not saying you need to well up a fake emotion inside of you and, and work up some tears and come down to the altar before God and pray and cry. And if you express enough emotion, then the people at church might buy it and God might buy it. And that will be true repentance. That's not true repentance. And John the Baptist actually was correcting the Pharisees on the concept of repentance because the baptism that he was baptizing people with was one of repentance of saying, I'm going to have a fresh start. And he was saying, it's not with words that you need to repent, but it's with your actions. True repentance in scripture, it's just a turn of direction. It's saying, the way that I'm going is not the way that I should be going. In Aramaic, the word that's used for repentance is actually the word that's used to just return home. Which I think is a beautiful picture, and Aramaic was definitely a language that Jesus would preach in from time to time, and when he would give them the word repent, it would be, be the word, you need to just go back to home. Where is home? Home is where God designed you in his image. Home is where you recognize that you have peace with God. Home is the place where Jesus has made for you in heaven. And repentance is that moment where you recognize the way that I've lived on my own cannot be the way I go. Repentance, it includes a change in direction, it in, which is just a change of behavior. And so how do we get there? Because if you're like me, there's been plenty of times in your life where you've brought something before God and you said, God, I promise I'm not going to do this thing anymore. And while you're praying that, there's probably a sense in your head of, I'm probably still going to do that thing some. And how do we move from that point of saying, okay, there's this reoccurring problem that happens in my life. Like, it's like, I want to turn, but every single t time I try to correct behavior, it's like I fall back into that pattern. H how do we get there? How do we have a change? Because repenting is a change of direction. It's a change of mind. It's a change of heart. But I want to tell you this about your heart, and this is nice and flowery romantic for a day at church. Uh, what scripture says about the heart is that it's deceitful above all else. The Apostle Paul says in regards to your heart, in regards to your motives, you can't judge other people's motives of why they do things because you can't even judge your own motives and why you do things. And so, it, so what do we have control over? If, if the heart's deceitful above all else, if we can't understand the motive of why we're doing that, what do we have authority over that we can begin to change? What scripture shows us is that we have the ability to change our mind. And as we change our mind, God will change our heart. 
I want to share with you a passage from Hebrews chapter 6 as we continue on this. In Hebrews 6 verses 1 through 3, it says, Therefore let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. The way, and this is most likely the Apostle Paul writing here in Hebrews, the way that he describes sin that we're supposed to be turning from, that we're supposed to be repenting from at the beginning, is these acts that lead to death. And he had a rock-solid view of what sin is. The way that he describes sin, things that we needed to turn from, he described them as acts that lead to death. Our culture is so far from describing sin as acts that lead to death. Like we have treated sin as though it is not destructive. We have treated sin as though it is not something that the wages of sin is death. We've treated it like no big deal. And we've grown further and further callous to the things of God because we've learned to shut out his spirit and his voice. And I want to make sure that we are a church that goes back to the scriptural truths. God has written what is sin and what is not. God has given us clear instructions in righteousness and holiness that we are supposed to walk in. He has called his church to be a church that is holy and repentant when sin has been part of it. And from our own household, it needs to start there. That we say within our household, I am not going to allow acts of death to be occurring. I mean, that's the way that he described it. Sin, it, sin is another charged word, just like repentance. The word sin, it comes from an archery term, to miss the mark. When we say sin, if you think of the perfect bullseye on an archery target, sin is when you are off center. Sin is when you missed low. Sin is when you missed high. All of us fall into sin. But the question is, are we even seeing sin problem, church? Let me further clarify this. I know that you see sin in your neighbor as a problem. Isn't that so much easier to see? I know you can probably see, see sin in my life as a problem. Like, Paul didn't do this. Paul wasn't nice enough here. Paul, like, I understand you can see fault in me. You can see fault in other staff members. You can see fault in other church members. But yourself, man, this is about today. And the reason that I'm here and the reason why I'm going to push on this so hard is that I am convinced that the message of the gospel transforms lives. I am convinced that when we get this right in our own life, it brings greater joy, greater peace, greater vision as far as what God could do in our family, in our life, in our city. I am convinced that the gospel transforms lives. And I know that you need this, but I know that one of the foundations for God to do a great work in a city is a church that begins to walk in integrity. I believe, and we're going to look at three foundations of what I would say is three foundations of our faith and three foundations of revival within a church. And the first is understanding we have to be right with God. If we've been straying out, then this foundation of repentance, if we want to see revival built up in our city, it's going to start with us getting our hearts right with God. And so if, if you're not sure where to look yet, I want to ask you to 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 search yourself out in a couple places. The things within my attitude and my thought life that I've allowed to stay there. My thinking towards other people and their worth. Are the things that I need to get 
right, and, and get onto God's page with the, way, with the way that I see my city and my people and my family. Next, is there obvious traps of addiction that I've fallen into? I've been in ministry long enough, I've been in this city long enough to tell you, if you think drug addiction is not a problem that happens within this church and within this city and within your workplaces, you haven't been paying attention very much. Can I tell you, church, that if you're in the midst of struggling with legal or illegal drugs that have grabbed a grip on your life, you would not be the first person in Gulfside that we've seen God heal in that area. You would not be the first person in Gulfside who had a community of people wrap their arms around them and walk with them through that and through recovery. And I've seen people who continue to hide their addiction and I've seen people who experience healing from it. And if today that's you, today can be the first step of healing in your life if you'll bring it to someone that you know and trust here. If there's sexual activity that has been happening outside of marriage in your life, then as your your pastor and as someone who understands mistakes, I want to tell you that God has something better for you. But as we endeavor to see God do incredible things in this city, as we endeavor to see God do great things in your household, we have to see it for what it is. It's not just a little bit of fun. It's not just the way that we live in this culture and age. I want to tell you the way that Paul described it was best. It's acts of death. It's things that will destroy lives and families, and we see it destroying marriages and families every single month in this city of people who do not walk integrity in regards to sexual activity. And if that has been a part of your story in this last season, then today is the right day to set the proper foundation again and get right with God. The, the word in Greek, metatonoia, it, it, it just means to turn, and it's an understanding that the turn is both physical and it's both mental. It's saying, I understand the way that I'm going. If I keep going that direction, it's going to destroy me. Uh, I, I, I've shared some, some stories about this before. I grew up on a commercial fishing vessel a lot of times. My dad was a commercial fisherman, fished out of Naples at a Kelly's Fish House, for those who've been down that way, had his own house for a while. And as a little kid, one of the things that I loved to get to do was drive the boat. And one of the things that I was terrible at doing was driving the boat. The rules were pretty simple. First of all, six-year-old, I had to sit up on the stool so I could see over the dash. Second of all, I was not allowed to touch the throttle. That was off limits. Didn't matter when, didn't matter how, never touch the throttle. But I could touch the steering wheel. And on the steering wheel, I would be given clear instructions. All right, 88 degrees, just hold it that direction. If you get off to 86, if you get get off to 95, then just bring it back. If a wave pushes you over, just bring it back and just keep that compass pointed where I told you and stay in that number. And it was very easy because, I mean, you see flying fish as a little kid and it's like, oh, that's pretty. 
and there, there's dolphins popping around, porpoises, and oh, that's cool, or just a big wave that's coming from the side, or a cool cloud that looks like a puppy, and you're just staring, and then all of a sudden, you're in the wrong direction. And when you recognize that you're going in the wrong direction, what do you do? You change direction. You get back on course. It's not, you, you can't, if you're supposed to be going at 88 degrees south, and that's your heading, if that's where you're going, and you're pointed at 150, whichever way you're going to be going, it doesn't matter. Like, you have to redirect. You have to course correct. And church, part of Jesus' message is grace, and part of his message is repentance, and the two are both intermingled in our heart, where we say, this is reality. Sin will destroy But God so loves you that he sent his son. So that whoever would believe would not perish, but would have eternal life, everlasting life. And what Hebrews 6 says, it should be a beginning of our faith. It should be a foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God. This is the starting point that things get built on. This is the point that you have to look at and you say, I'm going to get this right. I'm going to see it the way that God sees it. And my faith in God that that his sacrifice was enough by turning from sin, I'm not earning salvation, but there's a recognition that if I walk in this way, it'll be destructive to me. But if I turn, if I head back home, that's where newness of life is going to be found. That's where those, those answered prayers, we're going to see God do incredible and incredible things. And we've seen this play out in so many of our own lives and leaders throughout history and as well as men throughout scripture. And band, if you guys want to make your way up, I'm going to begin to close this thing out. King David is a great example of this. When you study the life of King David, he's described as a man after heart. I mean, if there, there's a lot of things that are written about a lot of people in scripture. Like there's the fool that's described in scripture. And I, I hope that you'd fall more into the, the, the man after God's own heart than, you know, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool to its folly. I mean, we can associate with one of those two, but David was the man after God's own heart. But David had some serious... This is someone who was king over Israel, king over God's nation. He, he, he danced before God in worship. He, he was given all of these gifts and all, all, all of these incredible moments. He's the one that when you read the story about David and Goliath, I mean, he had the faith to say, how could this person be profaning the name of God? It doesn't matter if he's bigger than me. It doesn't matter if I'm a young man. Give me a rock and a sling, and God will defeat this giant. I mean, David had faith to do great things. But as he was entrusted in this position of king, he got to a point when he, his army was out, and he should have been out with his army. He was instead on the of position and he had this moment where he saw a beautiful woman and he decided he knew it was someone else he didn't care sin he fell into a destructive choice and when he took this woman as his own she became pregnant and he knew that they'd be found out and rather than repent then He tried to cover it up and it got worse. He actually tried to create a situation where the man would be fooled into thinking it would be 
child, but the man had so much integrity. He said, well, my, my men who are fighting the, this war out there, out there, I'm not going to sleep in my own bed. I'm not going to enjoy comforts of home without them. So David didn't know what to do to fix it then, and so he actually had this other man killed. This man after God's own heart. David, king in scripture. I want to tell you, the way that God works, God brought correction and discipline to David. He had a prophet come and preach against him and tell him, you're going to experience loss, you're going to experience difficulty by this. And when David was confronted with the truth of what he did, he didn't continue to run from God, but he finally broke and repented. many stories when we finally get confronted, when someone finally brings it out into the open, the thing that we've been hiding, our only choice is to just feel like it's over. I want to tell you it wasn't over for David. In fact, as he repented, one of the biggest dreams on David's heart was to see the temple of God built. And David would soon later have a son. His son's name was Solomon. Solomon was the wisest king. Solomon was the one who built the temple. Solomon is still talked about in philosophy classes today because of his wisdom. Through tears, through repentance, God continued to work through David in Solomon's life and within the nation. try to put my my skin into the game of what he felt. How difficult would it be as king to own your mistake? To be in a public position like that? And I think that the only thing that could break a king's pride enough to say, I've sinned against God. I've grieved God's heart. I need to correct this. The only thing that could get you there is the recognition that the one thing that truly matters is being right with God. And this is what David said about his sin. He said, God, I have sinned against you and you alone. Because it doesn't matter what the people think, it matters what you think. And I'm afraid the church in America has lost sense of what does God think. We have lost concern of what does God think. And I want us today, and I know this is this is an introspective, this is maybe a heavier message for
said, we have to lay this foundation again because some of them strayed away. And so for you, if you've strayed away, then, this, then, then it is appropriate like David did to, to, to seek after God and say, God, it is against you that I've sinned. My mistakes are against you. And so now today I see that as truth and so I'm going to turn. And maybe you're in here and you've been around the things of but you have never actually allowed God to have your heart. You've never really worried about what he has to say. And I want to encourage you that today is the right time to make that turn in your life. And the churchy word is repent, but to make the turn where you say, my life has to be one that follows what God has taught. My life has to be one where I live for the things of eternity instead of the things of earth. And so whether it's a first time decision or it's it's re recommitting yourself to God. I want to challenge you to be honest about your life and your situation. And once again, put the first things first. Once again, lay the foundation of faith and repentance. So what we choose matters. As I started with talking about Dr. Alfred Nobel, it's, it's an interesting thing, the way that his life went and the way that his life ended. The thing that he was known for the most that was destructive, um, it actually saved lives as well. Uh, it was in his factory that it was discovered that nitroglycerin, um, nitrates, for any of you guys who have had heart conditions, the people who worked in his factory, they weren't suffering from heart ailments while they worked there, but if they had a heart ailment and they left, it would get worse. And it's interesting that something that would, could be used for destruction, it could be used for healing. And whatever that has been happening in your life that has been destroying, 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 I'm going to tell you, God can take that and He can use it to heal. And if you felt like